Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. couple of guys, every girl falls into their hands. This is Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. I'm Nikki Dakota. You might find me here, but today it's extra special. Film guys live in the studio. And uh, you may be hearing, uh, you may fully recognize the uh, soundtrack yeah, in the that, background. That mudslide of culture here. We're going from <laughs> Wings of Desire to Animal House. In one swell foop. Filmically Perfect is underway on 91.3 WYSO, and it is my pleasure to welcome to the studio storyboard artist to the Coen Brothers and to all the big stars. Really, his name is J. Todd Anderson, and he's here with us today. J. Todd, thanks for being here. It's always my pleasure. You know that, Nikki Dakota. I'm telling you what, and uh, your partner in crime and goodness is the amazing George Willeman, who has a mind that can retain every detail that ever passes uh, through his ears or eyes. He broke an icon. He's watched seven million movies. Telling you what, he is, no wonder, the nitrate film archivist for the Library of Congress, George Willeman. Thank you. It's not my pleasure, but I'm sure it's somebody's. (laughs) Thanks so much for being here. We uh, commune of a Friday afternoon to celebrate the best things in cinema and uh, certainly Animal House. We uh, turn. We get our... hit by this movie all the time. Everybody telling you, you know, when people listen to our show, they always come up, what about Animal House? What about it? Well, it's right. It's on their list. So we're, we're succumbing to pressure here. We're going to talk about Animal House today because it really has made an impact on this society. If you don't believe me, go outside and just start looking at people, man. I'll tell you that. <laughs> hey, before we get into the, the meat of the matter, let's uh, remind everyone that these movies are not just decided upon willy-nilly there is a strict and stringent it's code a of board. laws a board has all these guys have pointed hats on and they make smoke it comes underneath the door and george and i interpret the smoke with our nostrils they flare and then we say yes it's a perfect movie let's see if it fits our rules there I know, are I know rules. the supreme court was involved oh <laughs> gentlemen hey well first off these films create the world that they exist in and Animal House wholly sustains that world. <laughs> and regardless of changes in society or taste, they retain their meaning and entertainment value. <laughs> and never not once is Animal House compared numerically greater or less than any one of the other films on our list because it is perfect in its own scale. <laughs> and that we don't have any extra rules, except uh, that uh, that I agree. So that's we can just leave that, that this movie has been, as for so many people, I think, what, because you if she doesn't it, agree, we had to go to Rule 5 and Rule 6, which is... <sighs> <laughs> what is it? You know how the, if there's a song that, for example, maybe was the soundtrack to your high school career. Now, what, what would be the terminology that we could say Chingy? for a movie that had that influence? <laughs> I asked you not to talk about that. <laughs> past is past. I got better. I have reformed. Um, you know, there's like a, a song can be the soundtrack to your, a, a chapter in your life, but this movie was, I don't, I'm not quite sure the word. It, I think it is iconic. iconic is 1978 is like right, right around my high school years. There. Yeah, because I know, I know that you know, I was in high school at the same time, and I know that in either 79 or 80, we had a toga party uh, dance 
at our high school. Yeah. Parents. Now, was that? Can we attribute that, that? I mean, oh, was absolutely. that a common practice, yeah. or does this was the construct of this movie? It's from this movie, is yeah. it really? Absolutely. Sure, I mean, this this movie is a construction of of college memories of the of the guys who wrote it. I mean, they've even said as much. So I'm sure in one of their past there was like a Roman toga party. I'm sure there have been such things. But but this film chance to wear not much clothes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this film just it just that's such an integral part of this scene. This movie was such a beautiful thing. That toga scene uh, helped me get through college because there's so many times <laughs> where I'd be fretting and stewing about an exam, and I'd say, oh, "I got to study for that. I got to study for it." It'd be like three hours before the, uh, the the exam, and I think, "Toga, I don't have to worry about this. It'll be just fine." What what did they teach us? Toga, and you know, I'd go into that exam and pass it okay. And you know, I'm a little stupider now, but I sure remember those days as toga days. That toga was my code of getting through college. And that, and this film uh, signaled the beginning of so many uh, like brilliant comedy careers, not only in front of the camera but also behind the camera. This was a breakthrough and film a for many people. Great producers and writers, Harold Ramis. Now he was also in um, Stripes, right? I'm thinking it's the same guy, right? Director. Yes. And Ivan Reitman, big time producer, the director of Ghostbusters, and Douglas Kenny, who was the reason why the American Lampoon became the magazine it was. He's one of their National biggest. Lampoon. Was it? Was it American me, me, First? National Lampoon. Yeah. All right. Yeah, no. No, okay. I just made a mistake there. <laughs> okay. Don't write in. <laughs> if you do, it's film guys at perfectmovie.net. Yeah. Douglas Kinney was the driving force behind this. He did Caddyshack. There's all the, this is the comedy minds of the 70s. But this was his first movie, am I right in thinking that? Whom? Uh, Raimi. Raimi. I, I believe this was uh, one of Harold Ramis' first films as a writer. As a, yeah, as a screenwriter. And the music was by Elmer Bernstein. So if you hear very similar pieces of score in uh, American Werewolf in London, it's because... Yeah, Elmer Bernstein does a wonderful job of sort of aping himself and also sort of parodying other types of, uh, of music, of score music throughout there. I seem to remember that he was some sort of a friend of Ramus's father or something, was how he sort of had this connect. And it was something of a, a, a bold move to put a sort of classical sounding, classical music sounding soundtrack to a comedy. Yeah, and I think actually in, in some ways Elmer Bernstein kind of regretted this decision because <laughs> he became very well known for doing these comedy films. He he then went ahead and he did Blues Brothers yeah. and he did Ghostbusters. Play, and play but that. you know and, and so many times he gets forgotten for some of the really big scores like well like to kill a mockingbird and the Ten Commandments. Play that real cool classical score that you would never ever dream it was from Animal House unless you saw the movie. At the same time, it's still a wonderful uh, pastiche of yeah. sort of college music. It is, and it is like the Elite. stately. It's a, it's a collegiate setting. The ivy's crawling setting. up the walls. Right. Uh, this right. is, of course, before the horse gets killed. And you might think, as the opening, you know, as you see these beautiful buildings on a college campus and this music, that oh well, this is a. You know, but then you get uh, sort of uh, right. reminded that it's not this at all. <laughs> it's quite different than what you no, expect. It just degrades and degrades wonderfully till the end of the picture. <laughs> So we're talking about Animal House on Film Weekly Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. And George Willeman, will you give us... This a- is what I want to hear. I want to hear George do, <laughs> do his version of Animal House here. <laughs> Could you do it in the characters' voices? Could you? No. Uh, little rundown of the action. Well, the story basically is in 1962 at Faber College, which I don't know if they actually say it, but it's supposed to be in Pennsylvania. And um, it's about basically these these two guys who've come to, to, uh, to Faber College Larry Kroger and Kent Dorfman. 
and they are trying to get into a fraternity. So, of course, they go to the nicest fraternity and, uh, and are immediately kind of shoveled into the reject pile. Um, but and that but, reject pile is uh, like four characters. One has a turban on, and another guy's a blind guy, yeah. and another guy is a. There's like four different characters. He has to sit on the couch with these guys. You know, he's out. He's right. not going to fit into those guys. Okay. And it's basically sort of a National Lampoon thing, where it's, it's it's you know there's this social commentary there where the the this this fraternity is of course they're all squeaky squeaky white boys. Yeah. You know? And um and and uh, Kevin Bacon. And one of his first big roles plays just this insufferable preppy Chip Dillard. He's a great who job. Puts his nose man. up. He's really awful. And uh, but no, these these two guys will not be accepted because you know one of them's uh, fat and the other one's just kind of dopey looking. So they they leave dejected and they go over to Delta House where Kent's brother was a member and so he's a legacy. And it turns out that Delta House is the worst fraternity on college. They're, they're Buildings met falling by, down. Right. And the moment they walk up to it, they're met by a flying mannequin torso coming out the window in front of them. And then they meet the uh, the Sergeant-at-Arms, Bluto Blutarski, who's played by uh, John Belushi. None other than. Uh, who has taken a whiz in the front yard. And, <laughs> and, he, and he turns and his whiz. Turns his whizzes all over them. Hi, how are you? Yeah, and basically tells them, come on in, have a beer. It doesn't cost nothing. <laughs> So they go in. The place is just a shambles, but but all the guys are really nice and they like them. And they end up getting into Delta House uh, mainly because the Deltas need the the the, uh, the dues money really bad. <laughs> and um, and the story just kind of follows their college careers. You know, they get into ROTC and they meet the the head of the ROTC who kind of dresses like General MacArthur and ends up getting dragged by his horse. And and um, he puts he puts uh, Kent. Dorfman, who has been nicknamed uh, Flounder, uh, <laughs> into the into the stables to clean up after his horse. Which is a hilarious scene. <laughs> and uh, and and poor poor Flounder is, is is being abused by this. So two of his uh, his fraternity brothers, uh, Bluto and D Day, uh, right. come and they steal the horse, and they take it up to the dean's office. Now the dean, who is played by another just fabulous character actor, uh, John Vernon. Uh, Isn't it Dean Wormer? Yeah, it's Dean Wormer. Wormer. And you know, he says, it's time for someone to put their foot down, and that foot is me. And <laughs> um, and he has got them under double secret probation, so anything they do, they're going to get kicked out. And people say that till today. That's right. They really do, yeah. yeah. So anyways, they've taken the horse up, and they put it in the, in the dean's office, and then they give Flounder a pistol and tell him to go in and finish the job. And so and leave him there in the room. And then leave him there. So so they go in and 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 just as he leaves to go into where the horse is, you know, Bluto turns to D Day and he goes, "There's just blanks in that gun, right? Just blanks." So so Flounder's in the room and he's trying to shoot the horse and he finally he realizes he cannot shoot the horse. So he puts the gun up in the air and he fires it. And in one of possibly the funniest moments I have ever seen in a movie, and using one of the oldest cinematic tricks in the book. <laughs> They freeze frame the horse and they add this. <laughs> now you're probably saying we saw the same technique and it's a wonderful life when Frank Capra is uh, in one of his movies where the angel where uh, is, freezes all the action. I know a lot of you are going to say that, right? Don't you think, George? Uh, yeah, it's an old it's an old technique. It's called freeze framing. And Truffaut, <laughs> Truffaut tried it several times, but nothing to the kind of effect this movie had. Best use of technique right here in Animal right. House. Truffaut was a smart guy. We do. We think he's a great filmmaker. But none of the stuff that he pulled did anything like this horsey. So well, the upshot, the horse gasps. The horse gasps. <laughs> has a huge heart attack and dies. 
So then in, in, in totally incongruous and like uh, Abbott and Costello, Keystone Cops method, uh, the three of them take off screaming and yelling and <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, but to top themselves, because this film is all about topping it, you know, topping a gag with another gag. The next morning, uh, Vernon Wormer, the dean, is having a, a talk with the, the, uh, the mayor of the town who is, is trying to get money out of the college so they can have a parade. Um, the where, horse. Where have you heard that one before? <laughs> I mean, as they as they as they are talking, and the camera, you know, reveals the whole office. You see these four white horse legs sticking straight up in the air, <laughs> and this little man coming in and measuring them with a tape measure. And the scene basically ends with him coming back in with a with a chainsaw because he's got to saw the horse's legs off to get it out get the door. Get out the door! Ew. So, I mean, the adventures go from bad to worse. Yeah. Uh, Pinto picks up a girl at the grocery store. She turns out to be, I believe, uh, the daughter of the mayor. And uh, and she's underaged. Um, one of the other frat members ends up uh, hitting on the, the dean's wife, who's an alcoholic. And uh, they also meet up with the, one of their professors, who's played by Donald Sutherland, who's a pothead. And, he and you get him. to see his bottom in that, you too, You get to see his you? bottom yeah, because yeah. it turns out he's having an affair with, uh, with Karen <laughs> yeah. Allen. There are other higher moments in this movie than that. You know? Oh, i so but that's just memorable. Yeah, so then as, as, things, you know, <laughs> as things are, are getting even worse, they can only think of one thing to do, and that is to throw a toga party. <laughs> what so. else are you going to do? You know, there you are at the brink of the uh, hey, dark precedent. <laughs> I mean, everybody does toga parties now. It's all traced back to this crazy movie. Yeah. So they throw this huge toga party, which, of course, gets them in even deeper trouble, and eventually they end up getting getting expelled from college. And, of course, they racked by that by having a road trip. <laughs> so they basically take uh, Flounder's brother's very nice Lincoln Continental out on this road trip. Slab side 67 or slab side, slab side 64. Six, what do you oh, think? heavier than that. 63? 61, maybe. Yeah. Um, and they end up going to this roadhouse where the band that uh, played at their uh, toga party was and, and suddenly realize that they are the only white guys in there. And they know the band because they, they had played, played, at, played the at the party. college a bunch of times. So they're all like, hey, hey, I can't remember the band's Otis name. Otis Day hey, and Otis the Nights. And, Otis Day and the Nights. And they do sing a song in there that um, was my introduction to that song. Mm-hmm. The, uh, a little bit louder now. A little yeah. bit louder now. Shout, Shout you know. And, and just Chandler fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, they end up, they actually end up abandoning their dates at the roadhouse. <laughs> Um, they get back to college. They're confronted by the dean who expels them all because they're, you know, like one of them, their grade point average is 0.0. That's Bluto. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're thrown out and they decide the only thing they can do is revenge. So they take they take the car, the beautiful Lincoln, and they cut it up and they make it into the death mobile, uh, mounting the head of the uh, the founder of the college's statue on the hood. And during the big big uh, homecoming parade, they cause all sorts of mayhem, uh, including marching the marching band, and this doesn't say a whole lot about their marching band, into a closed alley where they smash all their instruments, and they just continue marching into marching. the wall. The yeah. trombone slides are all bent up. I'm sure the prop guys did all that. It's Great really visual. cool the way they bend up. <laughs> and then, of course, the film wraps up with little little biographies of all the characters and what happened to them in the future. Now, was that the first use of Oh, they did it in American Graffiti. Yeah, but interestingly enough, this is like American Graffiti on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the same year. It's 1962, and uh, uh, they do the 
it's, it's very much hey, it's very I wonder, similar to American Graffiti, ever, only it's like out of control. Have they made ever an acknowledgement of that at all, or is it well, just not really? But it's interesting that, from what I understand, originally when they started this, uh, Lampoon had done this wonderful special uh, known as the the uh, the uh, yearbook parody, the high school yearbook parody, and a lot of the character names from in the in the film actually come from the yearbook parody, like Larry Kroger and and um, and Vernon Wormer. But when they started putting the film together, they realized, well, you know, this film's going to be pretty raunchy, and, and we better not do it about high school because then we'll have all these high school kids coming to see this thing. So then they change it to college. Yeah, and, you know, you have to ask yourself, how many kids were inspired to go to college because of this movie? How many, how many kids say, I'm going to go to college because <laughs> I hope not hey, many. <laughs> I'm not kidding here. I'll bet you a lot of people. One of my favorite shots of John Belushi standing there with a shirt that just says college on it. <laughs> So great. That's right. You have to ask yourself, how many kids said, I want to go to college? This looks like a lot of fun. Like, hard day's night. I want to be in a rock band. Oh, I want to go to college. Right. Some of the techniques they use in this movie are, are, are very old, but they refresh in them. For instance, uh, when George was talking about the kid, uh, uh, Stephen First, I think, is taking care of the horse in the yeah. uh, barn. Yeah. That's really hilarious. But one of the ways that people use to get you on their side is they pick the weakest – Un, yeah, the weakest un, person that can't defend himself, and they just beat the snot out of him by some guy who you're trying to say, this is the evil guy. He's going to beat up on this kid who can't defend himself. Not only do they do that in this movie, they do it like 50 times. <laughs> they just keep finding the weakest link, and this guy works on him until it, uh, they overwhelmingly just go. It's, it's very old cinematically what they're doing, but. They just reinforce it to the point where it's absolutely hilarious. I have to say that one of my favorite characters in this is the Bluto, the John Belushi uh, character, who, as you remind me, had already come to some acclaim from Saturday Night Live. He, right. I mean, this was not his, his oh, no, maiden he was, voyage. He was really popular when this movie was coming out because he was so popular on Saturday Night Live. Everybody couldn't wait for this movie to come out because they wanted to see him. But my favorite is where he's walking up the steps and there's this guy there and he's got some girls and he's playing the guitars. I gave my love <laughs> yeah. for cherry. Stephen, that's Stephen Bishop. Oh, is it yeah, really? I had no idea. Takes the guitar, fixes it, just beats it, just Smash breaks it. it into splinters, up, and then hands watch, it back well, to him. Absolutely. Sorry. <laughs> just, watch some great timing there. That guy is—he's just so good on his feet. <laughs> and then, well, and then of course, uh, one of the ultimate high points in the movie, and uh, who knows how many kids have pulled this on their friends. Uh, Bluto is in the dining room. He's eating everything that's not nailed down. And um, he's eating out of the garbage. <laughs> he's taking all this stuff off. And he finds the, in the garbage. Yeah. He, um, he, he ends up going to the table with all the cool kids. All the snobby, all the snobby snooty kids, kids. And he kind of winkles his way in there. <laughs> and there comes this point. Don't you have any respect for yourself? This is absolutely gross. That boy is a P.I.G. pig. See if you can guess what I am now. I'm a zit. Get it? <laughs> and of course, that's very shortly followed by the ever popular and most famous Food Fight! <laughs> and getting back to our cinematic roots, of course, this started out as pie fights. So they've just gotten rid of the pies and they decided to throw over you just Oh, right, you're no. right. The funny, the, the pie in the face hey, that, gag. That's right, George. It went from <laughs> pie fights to food fights. You know, <laughs> We're talking about Animal House on Filmically Perfect here on 91.3 WYSO. And this movie is perfect in every way. Yes, it is. One, uh, t- they can't, 
if they could use the zit gag, they would. <laughs> Every cheap car commercial would use it, but you know, people will not accept that. However, everybody takes one gag from this movie and uses it for just about everything from selling refrigerators to cars. And that's where the devil and the uh, angel is on the guy's shoulders telling him what to do. Now, that was in cartoons in the 30s. Yeah. Oh, that harkens way back. But it, it does. But this is the one. This is. After Animal House, you started seeing it yeah. a lot. Yeah, because of the, the context in this movie is not exactly cartoons. <laughs> I don't even know if we should discuss that. I'm a little embarrassed talking about that scene where the girl falls asleep and uh, she He's uh, deciding she what has no to clothes. Do. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I, I don't think I think the idea of using the little angel and devil thing was just that because it had been used so much, especially in cartoons, but it hadn't been seen in a long time. So this film is one that where they are not afraid to drag out any old any old hoary joke that they could possibly do and make it just as ridiculous as they possibly can. And people ate it up. <laughs> yeah, because there's no holds barred. Absolutely none. I mean, my favorite moment in the film again is Bluto, where he, gra- he finds a ladder and he's he's spying on the on the on the uh, sorority girls as they're getting ready for <laughs> yeah. bed. You know, and it's, it's one thing that he climbs up the ladder and is peeking at him. But when he sees the one go over to her room, rather than getting down off the ladder, moving the ladder over, he just kind of grabs the ladder and jumps across the building, <laughs> making this horrendous noise. <laughs> and he's right there he's anyway. He's right there. And it's the girls crazy. don't buy they just And just basically undressing in front of the window yeah. with his big head right there. And you can hear the clump, clump, clump down the wall. And they can obviously hear it too, but they just don't pay attention to it. And a sign you're working with genuine talent is is when he falls back on that ladder on his back, they go in for an extra close-up. Most of the times you would never be able to get away with that, but that guy was such a talent that you were wanting more. It wasn't John it wasn't the gag of what happened. It was John Belushi controlling that gag. People to this day he is one of the funniest guys I've ever seen on the screen. And it, this movie will crack you up every time you watch him. 1941's not on your list, is it? Nope. Nope. <laughs> so, except for that, he's quite funny. Nope. Now, so let's think about the rules here. Now, one let's and two. Think, okay, clear the room, everybody. Clear let's the room. think about the rules. Rule one uh, creates the world without question. And also, I think it was just an amazing uh, 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 juxtaposition of the classical music on this comedy. I think that was just brilliant because it just engages you in a way that you're not expected. All to be like honking, and circus sounds. No, right. it has this like an amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly sustains it at all moments. At each turn, you're, you're going just willingly, eagerly along with each of these twists and this horrible plight of these the downtrodden sad sacks. And uh, ultimately, rule three, I think, is what drives this home as far as uh, sustaining its entertainment value. And plus, these catchphrases like the toga party and like the double secret probation. It cracks right. me up, but people still say that to today. That's right. And yeah. road, road trip. Road trip. Road, road trip. trip. Yeah. You know, and... And and uh, gosh, I completely forgot what I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> well, you know how the rules, how it all just perfectly fits. Yeah, I mean, and it is it is to this day extremely entertaining movie, and and amazingly, although I, you know, when it came out, it was like, oh, it's so raunchy, it's so raunchy. It it now you know looking at it now, and and last weekend I went to the movies and they had like six trailers for for comedies for young adults. And the trailers alone were raunchier than anything that was in Animal House. But Animal House was executed with a lot of style. Their jokes were – you watch John Belushi move. Mm. I, when he's jumping up on that building and dressed as a pirate, I'm watching that. I don't think that's a stuntman because that guy moves a certain way. It would have been very hard for a stuntman to move like John Belushi because he was so good. He was really smooth in everything he did. Uh, but I think all this stuff is very, very cheap and pale imitations. They're just going for the – 
the guttural part. A lot of this stuff is very well executed. Filmically, is done very, very nicely. As George and I were talking about the cinematic aspects of the horse and the Keystone Cops. And for, take, for instance, the marching band at the end of the movie when they're running into the wall. You couldn't have done that in the beginning of this movie. It just wouldn't have sold. Right. But think That's about how great... they're telling this tale. And John Landis <laughs> is really good at telling tales. He he works you to the point where, okay, I'm numb enough. I believe any of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, because the whole the whole revenge at the parade thing, everything they do is completely, is completely out of the raid. The marbles. They throw the marbles. You know, and the <laughs> shot of Flounder going into the toy store and going, could I have 60,000 marbles, please? <laughs> You know, and then and then uh, they've and all then, got a mission apart yeah, in this and, big. You know, and Hoover going out, you know, walking out. He's got the dark trench coat on and the glasses, but he walks out in the middle of the parade with this huge chain, and he chains the float so it comes apart. And if you look at the people in the parade route, none of them are watching him. It's like they're very oblivious. They're just kind of waving. <laughs> they're just waving. You know, so the whole thing is just so beautifully executed. That's a great point that you wouldn't have accepted it in you the beginning. Have, but John Landis. You know, they say that the rumor is in Hollywood that if you ask John Landis to sign his autograph, he'll back his car into you. That's his signature. <laughs> Look at the, how many cars, how many times did they stop a car in this movie without hitting something? Never. <laughs> totally John Landis. I, you know, one time I was, I was at an office and he was there doing commercials. I thought, I'm going to make sure my car is not parked back next to that guy. <laughs> We've been looking at, thinking about, talking about, and <laughs> celebrating a uh, American masterpiece and certainly a perfect movie in every way, Animal House, here on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. And uh, just so funny, just even just talking about we it. We probably has... get more requests asking whether this is on our list. I think, I mean, I don't know about George, but when I talk to people, they always ask me, is Animal House on your list? You know? And once in a while, I'm tempted to say, no, just to watch their <laughs> crestfallen look, because I know everybody's counting on it. It's been, it's been kind of a toss-up, I think, for me between Animal House and Princess Bride. Oh, so really? we've done both of them, okay, people? All right. So there you well, go. One's a chick flick, so we had to make Which, Nikki of course, it's happy. my favorite Princess It's on our list, Bride. conveniently for us, of course. Right. <laughs> I didn't think Animal House is a chick flick. What? No. <laughs> oh, oh, Princess Bride. Sorry. <laughs> Perfect in every way. Yeah, we're gonna. Uh, I'm gonna put my uh, my my womanly wiles. Uh, offer some movies up here in the coming weeks, and we'll see if uh, if they pass the test. Very stringent criteria, though. This is not right. no fooling. It has to. Uh, has to hit in every way. Well, and, that's why uh, we come in with burn streaks all over our face because we've been hit by lightning here at WYSO. <laughs> and that means we've we put another film on the list. <laughs> now, listen, I wonder just quickly, do we? Uh, uh, do you think there's any uh, relevance between this and Porky's? Is that uh, – do you think Porky's in any way uh, – Yeah, well, I think Porky's kind of goes – you know, it, it, this film – if if it has any fault, yeah, it would be it that has it no was, fault. Well, an external fault, I would say, yeah. is that it it began the gamut of the, uh, yeah, the yeah. Crass, genre, the crass comedy, A poor imitators, clump. Don't try this at home, kids. Kind of movies, Ooh. right? <laughs> Although Porky's is sort of like the the high is the high school version that yeah. they probably were originally going to do, uh, and it gave us one of the most greatest movies ever made, which was a Christmas story. Christmas story, that's and right, because of his Bob Carr. We are quickly running out of time, gentlemen. As always, it has been a pleasure as uh, we wrap up this edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Drop us a line at perfectmovie.net. Tell us what you think. We take all your comments and... 
when we get around to them, no, we listen to all we, your comments. You, we we yeah. do. We take them seriously, and we love for you to challenge us or give us suggestions for movies. It's filmguys at perfectmovie.net again. Filmguys at perfectmovie.net. Go there and look at past shows, listen to past shows. Stop by the YSO website at wyso.org. However you do it, get in touch. We really love to hear from you. And if you know that answer, go ahead and call now. Gentlemen, J. Todd Anderson, thanks so much for being here. Always my pleasure, Nikki Dakota. Mine as well. George Willeman, always a delight. Toga. I'm Nikki Dakota. See you next time. George, let me get it. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please. <laughs>